Good morning and welcome to Southfield, our Southfield family. We're so excited to have you with us here today. It's um, been a lot of sadness around the a lot of, Yeah, that's true. A lot of sadness. Here. That's okay. You know, it's, I, it's an emotion. Well, we all go through it from time to time. But the, the specific reason for the sadness has brought the other side of town, from what I gather, mm. a great amount of joy. Really? <laughs> yes. Sorry, Cubs fans. <laughs> the reign of terror is over. It's done. They sold everyone. Yeah, it's unbelievable. True. It really probably should have happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. So you're saying it was inevitable. Huh? It All was right. inevitable, but I mean, I, kind of tell, I like to take the long view of these things. I mean, we've got 104 years to go before, <laughs> I mean, the pressure gets on. Hey, so, I mean, this is You're so patient fine. and wonderful. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love it. I did hear this morning that... Uh, Hope Springs because, Eternal. <laughs> <laughs> the Cubs did make one final trade. Yeah. They sent the ivy right. over to Home Depot for right. two newly planted shrubs well, that's, that's and good. a bush to be named later. So It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good stuff. Um, yeah. So sorry, Cubs fans. Again, you'll be back. Anyway, uh, welcome to Southfield. We are so happy to have you here. And we're going to kick things off with just a couple short announcements before we roll into the morning. Uh, as always, we truly appreciate your generosity and giving. If you haven't already, you can download the Church Center app, look up Southfield Church, and uh, give online that way. Super easy. It's literally the best. Uh, through that app, you can also look things up like journey groups and, and other things. So I would highly encourage you to download the app and go through that way. If you're still not there, if uh, you're uncomfortable with doing that for whatever reason, then we still have a box on the way out the door here. We, it's a black box. You can drop your paper offering in there. Again, we are able to do so much as a church family because of what you do in giving. So thank you so much uh, for that. Now, uh, to get us rolling, we have two weeks off before the start of the fall for students. So today, next Sunday, and this Wednesday and next Wednesday, there will be no Revive and no Refuge. Our leaders are going to be getting together to kind of set up the fall and, and see what everything looks like. So we're taking two weeks of a end-of-summer breather. Uh, so there will be no student activities during that time, uh, but we will fire it up back in the third week of August. So the, the week after some of us start school or the week that some of us do actually start school, uh, we'll be back that week. So I think it's August 18th, uh, somewhere in there. Sign up for the Remind so that you know exactly what's going on, because right. we'll send that all out. Uh, another thing that's coming up here in the next couple weeks is journey group right. uh, registration. We have um, the opportunity for you, if you've been waiting and you've wanted to lead a particular journey group, now's the time to tell us, because we are going to publish all those groups in the coming weeks to get ready for the fall. Uh, there's actually two that you can two. Uh, right. be a part of right now, or one, one that you can be a part of right now, one that you can register for right, right well, now. So this Thursday, uh, guys, 6.30 in the morning, I know it's really, really early, but 6.30 in the morning, a uh, group of us meet over at Grandma's Pancake House on uh, Mondeman mm -hmm. over there. 6.30 is pretty early. Uh, there was a rumor going around the first service. Uh, I think it was started by Terry. He is uh, a rumor spreader. Yes. Well, he's also a White Sox fan, so maybe those two <laughs> things go together. But the rumor was that I would be paying. Uh, I want to dispel that rumor. So 6.30, guys, is when we're getting together at, at uh, uh, Grandma's Pancake House. But for Terry, it's 8.30. Okay, so if you see him, let him know, and then he can pay for himself. And I was going to say, well, the and new we'll rumor is that Terry's paying for 8.30. So if right, right. So you can, get, you can have breakfast and lunch that yeah. way. So, and then another group that uh, actually has already made its way online is uh, 
It's a group that will be starting in the fall uh, covering 1 John. It's going to be dinner and uh, study at the same time. So kind of excited about that. Uh, looks like uh, that will be an interesting group to be involved in. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing for you. We do have baptisms coming up. At our Labor Day outdoor service, we'll have uh, the opportunity to get baptized. And we have two different ways that you can do that. If you're ready to make the declaration that, yes, you've entered into that relationship with Jesus, we want you to share it. We want you to tell people. The Bible wants you to tell uh, the Christian community. So we can be there to support you in, in your walk with God. And if you're ready to be baptized, if this is something that's been either sitting on the docket for a while or you're just hearing about it now and you're like, yes, this is, it, the time is now. I want to declare my love for Jesus. You're going to have that opportunity to do so. And the two different ways that you can do that are either in the river or in our portable tank. We'll have both options available that day. So if whatever you're most comfortable with, uh, we would encourage you to start letting us know. Reach out through the website. Uh, email us. Let us know that you are interested in being baptized so we can get you on that list and you can start making invites so that people can come and enjoy that that's very, very special day with us. The thing I love about baptism is it's not a declaration that I know everything, I understand everything. It's simply the, the scripture uses the phrase, the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Meaning, look, I don't know it all, but what I do know is that I love Jesus and he said I should do this. Mm -hmm. And so as a step of obedience, I'm doing it, mm -hmm. right? So I love the baptism services that we have here. Yeah, yeah, very cool. John is actually going to be speaking for us today because no, Pastor Dennis has not run off, uh, but he, he was in Texas last week and now he's gone completely the opposite side of the country. He's gone to the northern border up near Minneapolis. My cousin got married yesterday, so he and my mom went up and uh, were a part of, of that special day for them. So he's not here today. He's on his way back. But uh, I can tell you from being in the first service that we have an awesome, powerful message from John. So, John, take it away. Thank you. I'll pay you your $50 later. <laughs> uh, Tom, now is the time to lock the back doors like we talked about, okay? So you're a captive audience. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, really enjoyed uh, Brian's sermons over the last couple of weeks. Uh, really liked the, the book, uh, the idea that we are to uh, you know, be agents of change, right? That, uh, yes, we live in hard times, and uh, like, like that pot of boiling water, we can be the carrot, we can be the egg, or we can be the coffee bean. As a matter of fact, it really was that concept that we are supposed to change our world instead of being changed by our world. I think that Drew, Sue, and I here you know, many, many years ago... Uh, as you, know, you kind of went through and talked a little bit about that book, I felt like, well, that, that's a great idea. And you know, wanting to uh, you know, leverage that same type of an idea for, uh, for my series here over the course of the next couple of weeks, I thought I should uh, look for a book too. But I didn't, you know, I'm not the fastest reader. It takes me a little while to get through things. And so I really puzzled on, on what to do. But I did manage to come up with, uh, with a book. Uh, it's this one. Um, <laughs> I figured I could probably make my way through this, uh, and if you haven't read it, boy, let me tell you, this is a real page-turner. Brown Bear, Brown Bear. I loved this book when my kids were little, and they loved it too. It's full of colorful pictures, it rhymes, there's animals in here and everything like that. I loved it because it was short. No, it's not true. We, we got to spend good time together in, in bonding and, and whatnot, and so... Uh, that was fantastic. But uh, I thought to myself, what better book uh, than Brown Bear, Brown Bear to base a sermon series off of? Now, if you've not read it, there was a time that I could recite this book word for word for you. That time has long since passed. So what I'm going to do is give you the 
Cliff Notes summary version uh, in a sentence here. Okay, you ready? It goes quick. The brown bear sees a red bird, sees a yellow duck, sees a blue horse, sees a green frog, sees a purple cat, sees a white dog, sees a black sheep, sees a goldfish, which sees a teacher who in turn sees a group of children staring back at her. And the moral of the story, of course, is that teachers know everything. That's not true. They don't know. And they can't, they can't see everything uh, necessarily either. However, uh, it's a great book. It's a cute story. It does have lovely pictures and it does rhyme. And, uh, and kids loved it. Uh, cute story. Now, unbeknownst to me, there is a sequel, a sequel to this book that I didn't know about. It's called Polar Bear, Polar Bear, What Do You Hear? Now, unfortunately for my kids, uh, I did not hear about this book until about a week ago. And since Jessica, our youngest, is nearly 18, that book is going to have to wait for a while. But if anyone has it, I would like to get started on it so I can accurately capture and understand the theme before I have grandkids. That's the plan. Now, part of what I loved about Brown Bear, Brown Bear was that it taught kids the importance of making observations. Observations about colors and shapes and animals. Right? Things like, this is a cat, this is a dog, a dog you can pet and play with. A cat, well, you can try to pet it, but it will go and hide under the bed until it's time for you to feed it, at which time it will then nip you and then go hide under the bed again. That's true. This is the color red, this is the color brown, this is the color purple, and so on. Seeing, perceiving, listening, hearing, and understanding, they're all important parts when it comes to the development of children. It's true of children. It's true of adults, too. What we hear, what we see, what we perceive shapes us. You can take that concept a step further. What we hear from God, what we see of God, what we perceive of God, not only shapes us, but it also defines us. And as I reflect on our experience with the book Brown Bear, Brown Bear, my kids, they were amazing at finding that brown bear. I mean, they could find him every single time. Where's the brown bear? They point to it. They knew where that bear was. Nailed it every time. But I wonder, I do wonder, are we as good when it comes to sensing the movement of God? Something that is infinitely more important than simply identifying a brown bear. How good are we, really, at seeing God in our lives? How good are we at hearing God's voice speaking into our lives? Picking out a picture of a brown bear, it's sweet. But hearing and seeing and perceiving God is imperative for our spiritual health and well-being. This two-week series will challenge the notion that God only communicated to biblical characters in ancient times. The truth is that God communicates daily, hourly, minute by minute, second by second. The idea that an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God would have nothing to say to His creation is preposterous on its face. The issue is not that God doesn't speak. The issue is more that we just don't listen. The issue isn't that God doesn't act, but that when He does act, we somehow don't perceive it. In this series, we'll look at how God spoke to people in Scripture to see if we can learn anything about how to listen better. 
Moreover, we're going to try to offer some guidance on what God might be saying to us individually today. We'll look at how God showed up in different circumstances in Scripture and see if we can learn how to look for Him better and sense where He's moving. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've kind of heard people say this before, or give this phrase before, and maybe you've even uh, said it to yourself, right? Oh, if only God would speak to me, then I'd dot, 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 fill in the blank. If only God would speak to me, then I'd believe in him. Right? If he only offered audible proof, then I'd have faith in him, which of course is straight up not true because faith by its very nature requires that doubt be allowed to exist. Now our faith has an incredibly firm foundation. It is not an ill-informed faith. We have much evidence that God has given to us to support us acknowledging him trusting Him, placing our faith in Him. But faith still requires, it requires that we take God at His word as He's chosen to give it, not the way that we wish that He would choose to give it, as He's chosen to give it. If only God would speak to me, then I'd fill in the blank. I'd know what to do. If he offered audible guidance, then I'd have clear direction. I'd know what to do and what not to do. It would be crystal clear, and I'd follow him 100%. Now, to dispel this notion, we need look no further than the nation of Israel abandoning God literally days, days after he rescued them and appeared to them supernaturally. You see, an audible voice from heaven does not, does not automatically guarantee the obedience and followership of those who hear it. Oh, if only God would speak to me, then I'd follow him without question. If he offered an audible word, I'd never question his existence, his power, his authority, his commands ever again. Now, whether these ideas are expressed out loud or simply reserved for the corners of our minds, we've all thought them from time to time. We want to hear God. We do. But we don't. Now, as we embark on this topic, I think there are two important principles that we need to be aware of up front. Right? First, God is infinite, and He can communicate however He wants to whomever He chooses using whatever method He'd like, even through a donkey. Right? If you want to read that story, turn to Numbers 22. Read about Balaam. God speaking to Balaam through an animal. Right? It would be a mistake for us to assume that God speaks in a monotone voice in one and only one way, always the same way to every person he communicates with all the time. That's not how God works. God is an incredibly creative, living being, and he chooses how he communicates. We don't dictate the how to him. Right? We're the receivers of the communication, not the initiators. Second, we need to know that God always, always, always speaks consistently. Right? He does not contradict himself. He is completely consistent with his spirit and with his revealed word in Scripture. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When? Yesterday and today and forever. He's the same. 
James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. Numbers 23.19, some of you may know this, says, God is, a, is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the answer to these rhetorical questions is no, he has not. God is consistent. He doesn't say in one breath, don't do this, and then turn around in the next breath and say, oh yeah, never mind, I was just kidding. He doesn't work that way. Now it's important for us to keep these two principles in mind. God decides how he will communicate, and he does not contradict himself. Having those two in mind, we can start to look and see that the pages of the Bible are replete with times that God spoke uniquely to different people. Let me give you five right off the bat, and we'll zero in on one of them uh, and explore to see what God might be saying to each of us today. So we're going to give you a table here of kind of the who, how, where, what, and even when uh, of God speaking to five different people. There are many, many more examples. We're going to focus on these five. Uh, So let's start with Abraham, right? When or where or how did God communicate to Abraham? Well, under the stars. God said to Abraham, Abraham, go out, look up at the sky, count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Right? So God gave to Abraham a promise, a promise of land and of descendants. Right? That's not the same way or the same message that God had for Moses. God spoke to Moses, how? Through a bush of all things, through a burning bush. And the message that he had for Moses was, Moses, I'm going to use you to liberate my people. I'm sending you to be my mouthpiece. So what God had for Abraham was a promise. What he had for Moses was a mission. A mission. Well, that's different yet from the way that God spoke to Samuel. He spoke to Samuel while Samuel was in a bed. And what was the message to Samuel? Well, Samuel's message was a little bit different. Samuel had, or God had a message to Samuel that was a message of correction. You see, Eli, Samuel's mentor, there were some things that he should have done that he didn't do and things that he should not have done that he did do, right? And so God was basically giving a message of rebuke, a message of correction to Samuel for Eli, right? So there was a message of correction. What about David, King David, right? Well, God had a message for David that he delivered through a friend, right? Through a friend, Nathan the prophet. God's message to David, David said, I want to build a temple for you, God. Uh, This is my idea. I want to build a a big house for you. And God said to David, "Um, I've got a better idea. You're not going to be the one to build the temple, but I am going to build a house for you. I am going to build a legacy through you. Guess what? My chosen Messiah is coming through your line. So the message to David was a legacy. There is going to be a legacy through you. What about Elijah? A little bit later in the book of 1 Kings, we read the story of Elijah. God spoke to Elijah differently than he spoke to Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and David. He spoke through a whisper. Through a whisper. 
Elijah was very discouraged, as we'll see as we look at the story today. And the message that God had for Elijah was a message of encouragement. To kind of set this up, we almost have to go one chapter back, right? So we're going to look at 1 Kings 19, but you have to understand the context of 1 Kings chapter 18. In that chapter, we learn about this prophet Elijah, whose job it was, was to listen to God and deliver his messages to the people of Israel. That was his job. Now, unfortunately, at this time in their history, Israel had entirely rejected God and was following wholesale after the false god of Baal. And what amounted to nothing less than a total abandonment of the God who had saved them from Egypt, the nation of Israel was in full-fledged, state-sponsored pursuit of idolatry. It was a detestable and treacherous turn of events in the life of the nation. Chapter 18 of 1 Kings gives us the utterly fascinating account of this one man, Elijah, standing up for God against all odds, against the will of the people, against the king, and against the religious leaders of his time, only to have God show up in a mighty way to confirm his identity as the one true God. You see, Elijah is 100% on point, and he stands tall at the end of the chapter. God clearly spoke to Elijah, and he clearly spoke through Elijah. Elijah knew it. But then we come to chapter 19. And if you were going to put a title on chapter 19, it might be this, The Empire Strikes Back. Because people were none too happy with Elijah. They were none too pleased with Elijah's stand for the one true God, and they literally threatened to kill him. We pick up the story in verse 3 where we read, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, that's a pretty short prayer, but are you picking up the message there? Elijah is tired. He's worn out. He's discouraged. He's alone, and he's afraid. This is literally moments after one of the biggest victories had by any person in the history of history for God and with God, and Elijah is just completely, he's totally spent, he's completely wiped out. The text says he was afraid. He was fearful. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, a deep, foreboding sense of dread that is relentless, a fear that keeps you up at night and just will not let go. That's where Elijah is. That's what Elijah is feeling. Now, when we're afraid, we do the whole fight or flight thing, right? We either turn and fight or we run away. Just to be clear, Elijah is in full-fledged flight mode here. He is running, running because of the threat that was made on his life by the powers of Israel. And as we read further, we find that Elijah flees from Mount Carmel all the way to Mount Horeb. 
okay, around 300 miles. That is a long trip. That's a long walk. That would be the equivalent of walking from here to Indianapolis and back. That would take a little time to do. It would take some time. Now we pick up the verse, or we pick up the, the story in verse 9. All right, he gets there. He's gone a long way. It says, There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, can we just stop there for a second and make an observation? Something profound happened there. Did you catch it? Did you see it? God spoke. He said something to Elijah. He communicated with Elijah, and Elijah knew it. And what did he say? He asked him a question. Elijah, what are you doing here? I had you stationed in Israel, but you've fled all the way down here. What are you doing here? It's strikingly similar to the question that God asked Adam in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned and God was looking for them. Scripture says, the Lord God called out to the man, the man where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? Can we make the simple observation that it's God who started the conversation? He started it. He's the one that he sought out Elijah. He sought out Adam. God started it. He pursued Elijah. He pursued Adam. He pursues me, and he pursues you. God didn't wait for them to speak. He spoke first. He started it. Now, as if God doesn't already know, uh, Elijah kind of fills them in on the details of what's happening right? since chapter 18. Right? They're after me. They're trying to kill me. God already knows it all. Uh, but Elijah kind of gives him, fills him in on the details. After he's done listening, the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Earthquake, wind, and fire. Sounds like a great name for a band. The passage says the Lord was not in the powerful wind that threatened to rip the mountain apart. A great, massive, powerful, terrifying wind. Now, you would expect God to be in the wind. I mean, after all, He created the wind. What better way to announce the coming of God than a tornado reminding Elijah that God is... God Almighty! Wouldn't God have been well within his rights to chastise Elijah and send him running back to Mount Carmel post-haste? Get back there. Got a job for you. But the wind came, and the wind went. It preceded God's arrival, but God wasn't in the wind. The passage says the Lord wasn't in the earthquake either. Again, you would expect God to be in the earthquake his presence mightily shaking the foundations of the earth that he created, right? I mean, surely God would be in the earthquake. Nope. Not in the wind. Not in the earthquake. What about the fire? Right? I mean, come on. The fire, right? In 1 Kings 18, what ends up happening is God accepts the sacrifice that Elijah gives to him by sending fire from heaven, consuming the, the, the sacrifice 
verifying his identity as the one and only true God. I mean, surely God would be in the fire. Doesn't that just stand to reason? Uh Uh-uh. No. God's voice didn't show up in the fire. The passage goes on to say, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Can you imagine that? God whispered. The almighty, all-powerful creator of the entire universe whispered. Why do you think God whispered? Do you think it was maybe because he knew Elijah was afraid? Probably. Do you think it was because he knew that Elijah was tired and hurting and worried? Probably. Do you think it was because he knew Elijah needed to be comforted? Very likely. You see, God could have approached Elijah in many, many different ways, and he would have been justified with whatever method that he chose. But the two words that Scripture uses to describe the voice of God to Elijah are gentle and whisper. Gentle, free from harshness, sternness, or violence. Non-abrasive, soft, soothing, tender. Not the absence of strength, but holding back strength in order to demonstrate deep abiding concern for another. Whisper, to speak softly with little or no vibration of the vocal cords, especially to avoid being overheard. This message was personal. It's personal. What does this tell us about God? Well, I think it tells us that God is a gentle, caring, loving God who is sensitive to what his creation feels. God's message to Elijah Elijah was deeply personal. Can you imagine a God like that? A God that whispers gently? A God who has every right to shout from the mountaintops, but chooses to whisper. A God that is compassionate. That is amazing. As it happens, this is not the first time that Scripture records God passing by someone along the way. In fact, hundreds of years before, God passed by Moses on the very same mountain that Elijah finds himself on. Same place, exact same location. God passed by Moses and spoke his own name in Exodus 34, 6, where God reveals himself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, people often mischaracterize God, particularly in the Old Testament, is angry. And while it is true God does get angry, that is not the first word that he chooses to describe himself. The first word is compassionate. Compassionate. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He knew who was talking. He knew who it was that was speaking. And as Elijah stood there, God encouraged him. He instructed him what to do and reminded him that even though he felt like he was all alone, he wasn't. He was not the only God-fearing man left in Israel. There were many others, 
thousands others, in fact. Now, if you had been Elijah that day, running for your life, would you have heard it? Would you have been so distracted by the wind and the earthquake and the fire that you missed the gentle whisper? You see, here's the thing about whispers. They're easy to miss. You have to tune in and listen carefully in order to hear them. But if you're listening, the message behind a whisper can be incredibly powerful. Just like a radio has to be tuned to the proper station in order to hear the programming that is broadcast, our hearts need to be tuned in to God in order to hear Him speak. If our hearts are not tuned in, we'll get static. God can speak all day, every day, and we'd never hear it. And I would submit to you that that's the tragedy of our time. Many have stopped hearing because they're not tuned in. In short, we've stopped listening. But there is hope. There is hope. We can train ourselves to tune in to God and learn to hear His voice. You may recall a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where God spoke to the young boy Samuel. A young boy who would ultimately become the leader of Israel, but who had not yet heard the voice of God. We read in 1 Samuel 3, 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now fortunately, fortunately for Samuel, he had a wise mentor named Eli Eli wasn't perfect, but in this, he was awfully smart. He counseled him to go back to bed, always good advice, and said, if you hear God speak again, simply reply, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Sage advice. Wise counsel for all who would hear the whisper of God. We need to put ourselves into a listening posture. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When's the last time that you've said that to God? I'm ready to hear what you have to say. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to put my agenda on hold and listen to you. I'm ready to stop running and listen to you. I'm ready to be still and know that you are God and listen to you. I'm ready to hear because I'm finally going to make it a priority to listen. And I think if we're going to ask God to speak or question why we're not hearing from Him, we ought to at least afford Him the courtesy of giving Him our undivided attention, don't you think? I mean, that, that seems reasonable. And I think when we make room and space and time to attentively listen well, the heavens open and all of a sudden we're able to hear from God in a way that we've never heard before because we're listening. Now, I want to spend the balance of our time this morning kind of thinking through together what God might be whispering to you today. Right? As we said at the outset, God is not limited in His methods, but depending on where we are, there are a number of consistent messages that He may be delivering today. If you've not yet crossed that bridge of faith, he may be whispering his own name to you. I am. 
when Moses asked who he should say was sending him to Israel to rescue them, God replied, I am that I am. One of the biggest realities of our world is that God is. And one of my favorite passages is Romans one twenty, where Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What's he saying? Basically this. Go for a walk. Look around. Listen. The genesis of every bird's song is God. The chirping cricket has a maker, and his maker is the same as yours. Hear the breeze through the leaves of the trees in the field who spread their branches skyward as if lifting their arms in worship to their creator. Every sunrise has God's fingerprints all over it. Every star flung to the vast reaches of space by the command of his voice. Every flower in the field, beautifully, artfully, masterfully designed, screaming out together the same message. God is. He exists, and he is divine, and he is powerful. Just look at all he has made and be in awe of him. The next time you go for a walk, consider Psalm 19, 1-4 as you go, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, yet their voice goes out into all the, wor- all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Maybe that's the whisper for you today, hearing God say, I am. Now, maybe you've already crossed that bridge of faith, but you're still learning, right? That's part of the journey, learning and growing, right? Learning about this God who formed you. Perhaps the gentle whisper to you today is simply this, know me, know me. A great whisper for you to meditate on would be Psalm 103. I'm going to read a big chunk of it here. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. You see, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Maybe that's the whisper for you to meditate on this week. Know me. Maybe you came in here today just dissatisfied with something about your life, yourself, your circumstances. I don't know. But the whisper of God to your soul may be found in Psalm 139. As he says, I made you. I know you. I love you. Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. How is that possible? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you hear the intimacy in those words? You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. No, my friend, you are far from an accident. You are an on purpose. You are an on purpose. God made you in his very own image, specifically, carefully, artfully, craftfully for a purpose he knits you together hear the whisper i made you i know you i love you maybe you came in this morning carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders maybe the whisper to you today is first peter 5 7 cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you he cares about that worry not Maybe you came in this morning stuck in a sin that you have tried and tried to escape from, but you're not experiencing the freedom that God wants you to have. Maybe the whisper to you is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, purify us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps the words that Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery are for you too this morning. She was caught and and Jesus stood up and said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you after he had said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. There are so many other whispers that God may desire to speak into your soul. Grow, abide in me, follow me, fear not, engage with the body, serve where I've gifted you, and on and on and on. The time is now, my friends, to tune in and start hearing the whispers that our souls have been deeply needing for so long. So, so long. When it's quiet, before you go to sleep, what do you hear? Do you hear the lies of the enemy or the truth from God?
It all depends on what you're tuned to. How about we start making it a habit to start and end our days with the words of Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let's invite him to speak together. Father in heaven, uh, we are thankful to you for this story of Elijah that you give us in Scripture. We are thankful to you that you are a God who gently whispers, a God of compassion, a God who deeply loves, a God of justice, a God who forgives, a God who invites, a God who speaks first. You started it. You started the conversation. God, we ask that you would help us to tune in and hear your voice so that we can respond to it. We do love you, and we do want to know you more and more each day. Amen. Thanks, John. Incredibly powerful stuff, and we're going to continue that here right now. All the whispers that the Bible mentions that that John brought to our attention— We want to give you the opportunity now to start listening, to hear the whispers of God. And the really cool thing about how this worked out is we're going to sing a song or listen to a song called Dancing on the Waves. It's written from the perspective of God, and the song is full of whispers. So we're going to take communion during this song. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to go to one of the stations around the room at the front of the back, the gluten-free is on the stage and on the left table, uh, back near the, the doors. Um, go receive communion and then come back and just sit. Hold the body. Hold the blood. Recognize the sacrifice that was made by Jesus and listen for the whisper that God is directing your way today.
stand and sing with us?
I am, know me, I made you, I know you, I love you, seek my forgiveness, serve, go, grow, the list goes on. The whispers are there. God is speaking to you. Now, if you're anything like me, the temptation is to walk out the door, feel renewed, energized, like, yes, I'm going to be listening for the whispers. And then you get in the car, you blast the radio as you head off to the golf course or the baseball game or the grocery store or Culver's to get those cheese curds or whatever, wherever you're going, and you forget all about listening to the whispers. Don't leave it here. Don't leave that message here. Walk out today and be attentive. Listen. Talk about it. Spend time listening for God's whisper to you. Have a great week.